Locked On Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield. Your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. I'm in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass. What's up, Dolphins, and welcome into the Wednesday, September the 11th edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host, Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we're going to take one last look. I swear it's almost over. One last look at the film before we burn 59 to 10 forever. It wasn't just the players, but rather the game plan and a failure to adjust. I'll explain that. Some veterans speak up against the rumor of wanting out of Miami, and we'll welcome in the host of Locked On Patriots for Crossover Wednesday. But first, before any of that, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating, leave us a review. That's how we get into the top 200, so I appreciate you guys for that. Also, follow me on Twitter at WingfieldNFL. Vote the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter by Dolphins Twitter. And you can find our show's handle at LockedOnFins. We will follow you back there. If you want to read my written work, check out LockedOnDolphins.com as well as FansHighted.com where I cover college football and the Pac-12. All right, we have a busy show today. Let's just go ahead and jump right in. That's another Miami Dolphins. So tanking is the topic of the week. It was the topic of the summer. And it's going to be the topic all season long. But we're getting, thankfully, a lot of pushback from the players like Dan Kilgore, for instance. Kilgore cut to the chase about this idea that players wanted out of Miami after that first game, after that horrendous effort by the players, the coaching staff. Pretty much everybody involved with the Miami Dolphins organization needs a rain check on that first game. But Kilgore cut right to the chase by saying this, quote, If you don't want to be here... I don't want you here, end quote. In addition to that, Jerome Baker, Devon Godshaw, and Xavier Howard, all three of them shot down those notions, whether it was through tweets or reporters getting quotes from them directly. I think we can probably bury the notion of the report that these players were calling their agents or that it was multiple players. I suppose it could have been one or two, maybe Minka Fitzpatrick, I don't know. He seems very unhappy, but we'll get to that here in a minute. And if players were doing that, then frankly, you just aren't cut out for the expectations laid out by this coaching staff. I'm not saying that's a good thing or a bad thing, but maybe they're trying to weed some guys out that way. And that's pretty much it. This isn't Adam Gaze refusing to deal with personalities, which by the way, if you want some humor, go check out the New York Jets beat or the local radio shows there. My goodness, they're already burying Coach Gaze after one game. This isn't about him refusing to deal with big personalities. This is just asking professionals to do a job and to deal with the adversity that comes with the territory of the National Football League. You have the best of the best of the best. Some guys are going to win. Some guys are going to lose. That's just how it goes. You have to be able to get up out of the valleys to see the peaks. And that's what the coaching staff wants to see. And speaking of the coaching staff, how about some of Coach Flores' post-game comments from Monday morning? He took a lot of accountability. Adam Beasley was one of the guys that really liked what he heard from Coach Flores. And these quotes come from Beasley's timeline. You can find his work on the Miami Herald. Let's just run down a few of these. First, Coach Flores obviously quotes, we didn't tackle well at all, end quote. Comes back and says that during practice this week, Flores is going to be drifting everywhere at practice because there are issues offensively, defensively, and on special teams. Obviously, that's how you lose by seven touchdowns. He said that Minka had some good plays, some bad plays. We have a lot of confidence in him. Again, could be coaches speak. Who knows? 
He mentioned he was disappointed in all three phases. He didn't coach well enough. They didn't play well enough. They've got a long way to go. Again, more obvious quotes. He also says there are a lot of things that happened in that game that are correctable. And that brings us into the next subtopic here of the first segment is the game plan issues and then not adjusting to the same things over and over and over again. We saw it in the film study. If you haven't seen it, go check out my timeline. Go to my media. I posted about 25 videos or so from the game breaking down some plays. A lot of it had to do with the players being in poor position and the wrong personnel packages on the field to match the Ravens' offensive packages. For instance, the first play of the game, 21 personnel, heavy unbalanced offensive line, and they come out in their nickel package with two undersized linebackers and expect them to take on pulling guards. How the hell is that going to work? It doesn't. It never has. And Bobby McCain comes flying in to try to make a tackle with a horrible angle. Then he bounces off the tackle. Bobby McCain had the worst game he's ever had in his career in this one. He was absolutely dreadful, taking the cheese on some of those play-action looks, vacating the middle of the field, and that was kind of the game plan coming in. They wanted Lamar Jackson to beat them over the top. They wanted to come up and press the receivers at the line of scrimmage and force them to get up over the top of the defense, and they would then commit two safeties to the running game off of play-action or off of any idea that Lamar Jackson might keep the ball tuck it and run it and that left the deep portions of the field wide open and my goodness did Lamar Jackson not miss any of those opportunities he hit all of them so Bobby McCain Minka Fitzpatrick had a rough day in this one I think he was out of position from what he was asked to do several times but he didn't do anything to really overcome some of those position issues he had a bad game Eric Rowe had a dreadful game the effort was just not good from Eric Rowe on completion, six for six and missed three tackles. That is just bad. I talked about the linebackers. They were bad. The plan with the pass rush wasn't to send many blitzers, but rather to contain Lamar Jackson in the pocket, which I get. But after he showed you he could beat you doing that one, two, three, four times, how many times is enough? And that's why the players are frustrated because the game plan didn't, it wasn't good to begin with and it didn't adjust on the fly. The defense was just a train wreck at all three levels. The pass rush didn't get home. The linebackers did not get off blocks. The secondary was not in the right position and didn't defend the pass well. On the other side, on offense, both tackles had rough games in this one. Jesse Davis does not have the quickness to get depth in that vertical set as a left tackle. And then when he tries to overset, you can work back underneath him and get inside for pressure that way. Julian Davenport is a disaster. He is not going to be a long-term answer on this offensive line. Danny Isadora was awful as well. Daniel Kilgore had some moments, but he gets reset deep into the backfield way too easily. And the best offensive lineman, for my money, was Michael Dieter, who had some good reps, some intelligent reps, and also some physically dominating reps where he really kicked some ass on the field. That's what you want to see from your rookie left guard. And then a few more notes here from the offense before we change gears and get into that Patriots game finally, if you're looking forward to that, which I'm sure you're probably not. But Kenyon Drake had a couple of attitude runs that I really liked and saw some more juice from him than we have gotten recently with his aggressive play style. He got north and south and ran some people over and churned his legs. That was fun to see. Xavier Howard, if you guys haven't seen the video in my breakdown up on Twitter, at Wingfield NFL, breaking down his move to the slot to cover Hollywood Brown, where he traveled with the rookie receiver and just took his lunch money. That was one of the most impressive cornerback reps I've seen in some time. Go check that out. Xavier Howard was the one guy that really had a good game on this team. If you want to give anybody a good game, two other guys I thought had good games as well was Preston Williams and Devontae Parker. Both those guys did well to get themselves in position to open up a catch radius for the quarterback and they made plays. 
If Preston Williams just hauls that other touchdown catch in, we're talking about one hell of a rookie debut for him. So the two receivers, I think those guys and Jakeem Grant could be the future going forward as Albert Wilson is hurt once again and kind of has a bit of bad body language coming off the field that we saw in the game. And one last note, Jonathan Ledbetter hustled his butt off in that game. That should be mentioned. He played hard and that should not go unnoticed for any player on this team in a very challenging, difficult season. All right, we're going to come back and get to the host of Lockdown Patriots. But first, if you're looking to get back in shape over the fall and winter, check out the premier cardio machine with Peloton. And after you go get that sweat in on the cardio machine, why not enjoy the fruits of your labor and show your lady what you're made of with Blue Chew. BlueChew.com, that's blue like the color blue. Blue Chew brings you the first chewable with the same FDA-approved active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis, so you know they work. You can take them anytime after you're done pretending to be Lance Armstrong. You can take them day or night, even on a full stomach. And since they're chewable, they work up to twice as fast as a pill. So you can be ready whenever your opportunity arises. Wink, wink. Blue Chew is prescribed online and shipped straight to your door in a discreet package. So no in-person doctor's visits, no waiting in the pharmacy, and best of all, no more awkwardness. Blue Chew is made in the USA, and since they prepare and ship direct, Blue Chew is cheaper than a pharmacy. Right now, we've got a special deal for our listeners. Visit BlueChew.com and get your first shipment free when using our special promo code LOCKEDON. Just pay $5 shipping. Again, that's B-L-U-E-Chew.com. Promo code LOCKEDON to try it today for free. Blue Chew is the better, cheaper, faster choice, and we thank them for sponsoring the Locked On Dolphins podcast. Quite frankly, I can't stand this song, but we are shipping up to Boston, or they're shipping down here to us on this podcast on Crossover Wednesday. But first, before that, how about that Monday night game? Laramie Tunzel has a rough go. Kenny Stills caught what should have been the game-winning touchdown pass after Ted Ginn caught what should have been the back-breaking reception after Laramie Tunzel gave up the big sack. And then Drew Brees, the guy that should have been a Dolphin two times over, comes in and rescues the day. Dolphins parallels everywhere, including improving the draft position based on the Texans' loss. And let's continue that theme of Dolphins parallels here and jump into the Week 2 game and finally bury that horrible, horrible Week 1 loss. And to discuss the game from the Patriots' side of things, the new host of Locked On Patriots, he is Mike DeBate. Mike, welcome. Travis, my honor to be here. Thank you so much for having me today. Absolutely. And we've had these crossover podcasts with the Patriots two times every year. First time talking to Mike right now. And this game on Sunday might not be what the Dolphins fans have come to expect when the Patriots do travel south to Hard Rock Stadium, our annual Super Bowl that we've won five the last six years. But let's go ahead and get here. First things first. I know you probably get questions about Tom Brady and Bill Belichick all the time, but I want to start on the other side of the football. As you well know, we have parallels now with Brian Flores in charge, another Belichick disciple. So tell me, what did the Patriots do to completely wipe out Big Ben and the Steelers in that game on Sunday night? Well, the defensive line was outstanding against the run. They limited the Steelers to just 32 yards on the ground. 
James Conner had just 21 yards on 10 carries. Jalen Samuels, who was huge in the game uh, last year against the New England Patriots, had a pair of carries for just four yards. So, you know, coming off of a 142-yard game in 2018, then having only, you know, four carries, having only a pair of carries for four yards, excuse me, um, that really limited uh, their uh, their effectiveness. So Pittsburgh could never get the run game going. And the linemen were holding at the point of attack. They allowed the linebackers to make plays. The only downside was the pass rush against the Steelers offensive line. And they were, you know, pretty, pretty negligible when it came to, uh, uh, to that matchup. So I think if there was a downside to the Patriots, that was definitely it. But the defensive line really being outstanding against the run. Uh, Dietrich Wise was the only one that was able to get pressure on uh Ben Roethlisberger. He had the one sack. He did strip Roethlisberger of the ball. That was really more of a covered sack than anything else. But overall, a very strong effort. I think taking away the run from the Steelers established the Pats defense all night, and it threw the game plan of the Pittsburgh Steelers off. They came in with a specific design to run the football, and the Patriots essentially took that completely away from them. And I think that's one of the big reasons why they were so effective against Roethlisberger. You make a really interesting point in there as it refers to this Dolphins defense and what Brian Flores wants to do. We've heard Patrick Graham, Dolphins defensive coordinator, and Brian Flores talk about eye discipline, heavy hands, and stacking at the line of scrimmage and freeing up the linebackers to play the run and commit bodies into each gap in the running game. But they didn't do a good job of that at all on Sunday. And the Patriots have always been that type of defense that might bend. They're never going to break. They always find themselves in the top five in scoring. And so my question to you, Mike, to get kind of off topic here is, has there been a season where the Patriots maybe didn't have the requisite parts to execute that style of defense? And if they did, how did they adjust that game plan? Was Belichick able to come up with something else to fit the players he has on his roster? Well, I think there's a little bit of a balance of both. The Patriots secondary has really been a very big focal point since they acquired Darrell Revis a few years ago, and they really brought some pop back to that secondary. You require, if you recall, or you know, your listeners may not recall, but we do because we play two times yeah, a year, yeah. so it's very easy to see uh, the Dolphins. But uh, there always was an emphasis on defensive back play, and that's been a staple of a Bill Belichick defense, I think, really since Belichick and Brady first came in. You remember? Remember the days of Ty Law and Laurie Malloy and then, you know, guys that weren't maybe as heralded like a Terrell Buckley or an Otis Smith. These guys always came in, made big plays off of the uh, uh, the field. They got away from that for a few years. But the last couple of years, the Patriots have really gone back to that strong secondary. And this crew is really, I think, as strong as they've had in quite a while between the play of Stephon Gilmore. He was excellent on Sunday night, uh, really took Juju Smith-Schuster out of the game, in my opinion. I know Juju had a couple of nice catches but most of those were in garbage time, wasn't really a whole lot of uh, on the line, and the Patriots' defense was really strong there. One game that I really, really want to uh, emphasize, and a guy that I think you may see a lot of here in this game coming up on Sunday, is Jonathan Jones in the slot. This guy always is in the right place at the right time. Uh, was just given a contract extension last week, very well deserved. He was one of the big reasons why the team decided to move on from a guy like uh, Duke Dawson and even Keon Crossan, who were both jettisoned by a trade. Jonathan Jones playing in that game was a big, big part of it. He was huge in the Super Bowl last year as well, caused some problems in the secondary and threw off a lot of the passing strategy that Jared Goff wanted to employ. So I think at this point, because of the fact that the Patriots have such a strong secondary, um, I think that they will utilize that this week. I'm not quite 
certain as to whether or not I would say that they've been weak in the last couple of years. Uh, the, the the Patriots have usually tried to bring linebackers back in that uh, in that division, maybe even play a little bit in the backfield. Jamie Collins, who's returned to the team this year, is very adept at doing that. So I don't necessarily think it's a situation where the Pats have problems, uh, you know, playing within the secondary. But this year, they're very well equipped to employ that type of strategy. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that because it feels like the last couple of off seasons, I've been on my timeline or on LockedOnDolphins.com or here on the Locked On Dolphins podcast as we are joined by Mike DeBate of the Locked On Patriots podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. And I always talk about how this team needs safety help, even though they had TJ McDonald, Rashad Jones, and now we've got Bobby McCain going back in there and playing safety, which does not look good through one game so far. But this Dolphins team needs more help in that secondary, and yet there was no resources committed to the secondary. And I look at the Patriots and Bill Belichick, and it seems like you guys have 10 or 11 guys that are capable of coming onto the field on Sunday and contributing. Has that always been the case, or is that a new thing for the Patriots defense? Well, again, I think it harkens back to the early days of the Pats dynasty where you did have such deep secondaries. Uh, you recall they let Gloria Malloy go uh, in um, in one of their uh, early runs, and they bring in Rodney Harrison, and Rodney Harrison helped to anchor that uh, secondary, and they always brought in guys that were able to play, whether it be a Tyrone Poole or you know guys that just stepped up and did their job. Again, the Patriots got away from that for a few years. They had some guys in the secondary that were decent players. Ellis Hobbs is one that comes to mind that was a solid player but never was really able to get over the top. Asante Samuel was another one. When you take a look at what they've done this year, they've gone back to the grassroots, and that's why I think they've stacked the cornerback position and the safety position. Don't forget, Devin McCourty, Pat Chung, assuming he'll stay on the field all year, is really, really huge to that uh, uh, to that defensive backfield, especially at the safety position. Terrence Brooks picking him up was a huge move. Uh, he's been great. He's taken a lot of snaps with the first team offense. I think he'll be a thumper back there. They do have some guys that can play, that can get pressure. They can, uh, you know, take the hits and they can get, uh, uh, you know, a bead on what the quarterback is trying to do and really cause some uh, disruption in the, uh, uh, in the, in the passing games of their opponents. So I love the Pat secondary this year. I think it's one of the strengths of their defense and uh, it's going to be interesting to see how they progress as the year goes on. I really thought Terrence Brooks might be on the Dolphins radar this off season, just like I thought Trey Flowers could be. And there was some reports that he might be. And yet the Patriots let a $17 million per year defensive end go. And the Patriots pass rush doesn't rack up the sacks like some defenses do, but they finished first in pressures last year. That's kind of the idea of the rush scheme, which again is a parallel to what Brian Flores wants to do down here in Miami. What are we going to see from the Patriots rush scheme in this game? Because I'm sure you know this, Mike, the Dolphins offensive line is a Chernobyl disaster area. <laughs> yeah, I, I because of that, I think you're going to see a lot of two-man rush, and I think they're going to be able to get pressure on the quarterback because of that. <laughs> so Look, Michael Bennett coming in has really kind of helped to offset the loss of Trey Flowers. And Flowers was a dynamic talent and somebody I was always a huge fan of. But Bennett is definitely well-suited for a Bill Belichick type of defense. His body type, his maneuverisms, it really does lend in. Another name that I would watch this weekend is rookie Chase Winovich. Winovich is quickly becoming a fan favorite here in Foxborough and with good oh. reason. He's a house of fire. This kid has a motor that just won't quit. I've had the privilege of watching him during training camp, and each and every day he was out there making plays, 
doing his job just really, really, and having a, a, a ton of fun along with it. So I really think he's somebody that you can watch. Uh, I think he's very quick off the block, and I think you may see him get after the quarterback a little bit this week. Um, what could be something that we see this weekend as well is pressure from the edge by Bennett and Winovich, leaving the linebackers to rush as opposed to dropping back into coverage. And as I alluded to earlier, Jamie Collins is back. He's got a great deal of experience in this system. He is a guy that can drop back into coverage and almost be a defensive back type, but he can also get after the quarterback. We saw him try to do that a little bit against Pittsburgh. I think he'll be a little bit more free this week to be able to do that against Miami. He can get pressure on Fitzpatrick given the chance. And I also think Dietrich Wise, who was solid again uh, from uh, uh, the Pittsburgh game on Sunday, I think he can be disruptive in both the pass and the run game. So I do look for pressure up front and in the linebacking core, and that will allow the uh, uh, the secondary to be able to set their uh, schemes and be able to lock those guys down a little bit. If you heard me grunting, it's because I had the Dolphins trading back and selecting Chase Winovich in the first round. That's how highly <laughs> I thought of him, and he's been nothing but awesome for you guys throughout camp preseason and into week one of the season, and yet we sit here with Josh Rosen, who by and large looks like a wasted investment at this point. Great stuff there, Mike. We're going to come back and dive into the Patriots offense on the other side, try to get some notes on Chad O'Shea's offense and talk about how the fact that this game is a 19 point spread already. And if you want to bet on the Dolphins to cover 19 points or maybe the other way around, you guys got to check out my bookie because if you found $100 on the street, would you pick it up or would you keep walking? Of course you'd take that cheddar. So why do you keep picking winners and not betting on them? That's why I go to my bookie. It's fast, it's easy, and they pay when you win. Let's face it. Where you're betting is just as important as who you're betting on. I wouldn't tell you guys to go bet with someone if they weren't the best. Do the smart thing. If you're going to bet football this season, bet with my bookie. Did you know you could bet on games after the ball has kicked off? If by the second half it looks like your bet is going to lose, you can always just take the other side. And if you're the kind of guy that likes to bet a little and win a lot, who doesn't? Try a parlay. If all your picks come through, you'll multiply your winnings. And no matter how you bet, the NFL season is the best time of year. Join now and MyBookie will double your first deposit when you use promo code LOCKEDON to activate that offer. That's promo code LOCKEDON. Visit MyBookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. So there is a football game on Sunday afternoon, 1 o'clock Eastern Time at Hard Rock Stadium. Patriots at Dolphins, a game that has long belonged to the home team, but this year could be different. Vegas certainly believes so. 19 points the Patriots are giving the Dolphins. That is unheard of in the National Football League. And let's go ahead and talk about the Patriots offense here because we didn't get much of a chance to see Chad O'Shea's offense in his debut on Sunday because the offensive line play was horrendous and the Dolphins only possessed the ball for 20 minutes in that game. But I want to ask you, Mike, how are the Patriots incorporating all these new weapons they have on offense with Edelman, with Gordon? We'll talk about the other guy here in just one second. But what's this Patriots offense looking like so far in 2019? <laughs> well, you know, it's amazing to me that only three weeks ago, uh, people up here, uh, whether it be media fans or even the national narrative on the Patriots, was that the wide receiver core was extremely thin. This had the, uh, the makings of Tom Brady's worst receiving core of all time at 42 years of age. How can you leave him with no weapons? Well, what a difference a few weeks makes. I mean, now we're talking <laughs> about a Patriots team that's going to roll out Antonio Brown, Julian Edelman, and Josh Gordon as your top three in your rotation. That's pretty formidable. <laughs> 
Uh, but of course, there are question marks on every one of these guys, and that's something that I do try to instill into my listeners with Locked On Patriots, as well as Patriots fans that follow me on FullPressCoverage.com. You have to be prudent. You have to be a little bit, um, I don't want to say squeamish, but you always have to be aware that there are question marks on these guys. Antonio Brown, and I'm sure we'll probably get into him in a little bit. I don't want to steal your thunder, but there's question marks there. Julian Edelman had the thumb injury in training camp, so he's going to be someone that the Patriots are going to continue to monitor. Jacoby Myers, Gunnar Oshelski, great stories. Two great rookies that really came in, proved themselves, and earned their spot on the team, but they're rookies. So you have to be ready for something like that to to, uh, to possibly happen. And then you take a look at Josh Gordon, and you know all the off-field issues that he's had. He looked very solid on Sunday. Sounded great at the podium, too. That's something that I really want to stress. Josh looks to be locked in on the field and on the sidelines, and that's something big. We only hope that he can continue to find the peace that he seeks, so that way he can continue what is a great career. But all of these guys do come with some sort of a question mark. Really, the most solid guy, when you think about it, without really any type of question mark, is Philip Dorsett. Philip Dorsett is someone that uh, the New England Patriots and Tom Brady have become very uh, fond of, and he really had a great game on Sunday. So incorporating all of these weapons is the specialty of Tom Brady and, of course, Josh McDaniels. Can't give him enough credit for the job that he does with this team, bringing them in and incorporating all of these guys in the skill positions into the game plan. Haven't even mentioned the running backs yet. Rex Burkhead, phenomenal game. A guy that can drop his head, run into coverage, and seemingly get yards. Sony Michelle had a little bit of a rough game on Sunday against the, uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers, but he did show some signs of progress, and I think that he'll be okay in the long run. Damian Harris was a rookie that they picked up out of Alabama. He's that ground-and-pound type running back that Bill Belichick absolutely loves. So they've got a lot of weapons on this Patriots offense, and it just is going to be interesting to see if they can all come together and how they're going to be able to do that. McDaniels had a very good game plan in Sunday night's game to get these guys involved. There could be a wrench that's thrown into that plan, and that wrench kind of happened over the last couple of days. So we'll see if that becomes an issue. But right now, I think all these players are buying into what could be an exciting offensive year in New England. He's Mike DeBate. He is the host of the Locked On Patriots podcast here on the Locked On Podcast Network. And he is clearly inundated very well with the podcasting game because you just teed me up about the wrench that got thrown into your offense. We're going to get to your prediction here in just one second for this game, Mike. But first, before we do that, Tell me, just freelance on this thing. Where does Antonio Brown fit in? Is he going to earn that $20 million team option, which was crazy to me that he could go out and get the same money, essentially, he was going to get from Oakland, just do it in New England. This whole thing is so mind-blowing to me. Just have the floor. Tell me about Antonio Brown. Where do the fans feel he fits in, and do they like the move? Are they as upset as everybody else in the NFL seems to be? Give me the Antonio Brown skinny. <laughs> well, boots to the ground here in New England. Uh, if you were to ask a poll about, I would say, either on Friday or very, very early Saturday morning before news broke that uh, Antonio was going to be released by the, the Oakland Raiders, uh, most fans would have probably said, no, I don't want him. He's a headache. I don't want him anywhere near the team. He's going to ruin it. And that's 
it, and and they didn't want to hear the name Antonio Brown. The minute he was released, the narrative started to change. And I'm not talking about the media. I'm talking about the fan reaction. And I started to see it on social media, that gradual erosion of, well, you know, he could help the team. He could be someone that comes in. He never really ran routes that well, but he has the ability to do it. And he can be a good route runner for Tom Brady. He gives them that dynamic presence. So you started to see the erosion a little bit. And then all of a sudden, word breaks. He signs with the Patriots. And then most of the fans were on board with it. <laughs> That's so, how it goes. <laughs> um, you know, I, I always I quote Aristotle all the time, Travis, and I say that virtue lies in the middle. And I think it does lie somewhere in the middle here. Look, Antonio Brown is one of the most prolific talents at wide receiver in the NFL when he's on. That's without question. But he's also one of the most controversial without question. So at that point. When does that question become more worth the reward than the risk? And I think Bill Belichick looked at this and said, for what he can bring to the table, it's worth kicking the tires on this guy and seeing what we have. Now, the contract details did surprise me a little bit because it does make it difficult for the Patriots to cut loose of him. But keep in mind, that second year is the $20 million team option, very similar to what Darrell Rivas had when he came here to New England. And they didn't, you know, obviously they didn't pick up that option. Rivas moved on, ended up retiring, didn't have anything left in the tank after he left New England. But it was a situation where, you know, that never even worked out. This could be a very similar situation with Antonio Brown. In the event he comes in and works wonders with Tom Brady and really develops a and I can't believe I'm about to say this, but develops a Randy Moss-like connection with our quarterback, <laughs> then all of a sudden that $20 million option might not seem so absurd. But my guess is that they get a pretty decent year out of him this year. They decline the option. He goes elsewhere next year and probably makes his money. But I think he has a design on a ring. That's not a slam dunk by any stretch of the imagination. But if you're going to look and chase jewelry, New England's a pretty good place to consider doing it. There are very few teams in the league where you can go there and say, I'm going to be in a contention for a ring. I've got a good shot at it. New England is in that echelon. I'm glad you mentioned Moss because that's exactly where I feel like this is all going. And hopefully by the time Tom Brady decorates his left hand with more rings and fills out all 10 fingers with rings, that's when the Dolphins can be ready to compete once again when the AFC East opens up for business. Mike, in just two sentences and a score here, one or two sentences, what's the prediction for the game on Sunday? Uh, I think this is going to be a pretty one-sided affair. But, you know, the Patriots <laughs> you don't always say. have a house of horrors uh, down in Miami, but I do think it's going to be one-sided. Probably not the blowout we saw on Sunday uh, with the Ravens. My prediction is that the Patriots take this one 30-12. Uh, to 12. He is Mike DeBate, the host of the Locked On Patriots podcast. Mike, tell the folks where they can find you. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at M-D-A-B-A-T-E-F-P-C. You can find my written work at fullpresscoverage.com. And, of course, you can find me here on the Locked On Podcast Network as host of Locked On Patriots each and every Monday through Friday. Awesome. And you guys check out my edition of the Locked On Patriots podcast on Crossover Wednesday. Mike, we'll talk to you again on December 29th for Week 17. Sounds great, Travis. Thanks for calling me today. Anytime. You got it, Mike. And there he goes, and that's going to do it for our edition of the Wednesday Crossover Locked On Dolphins podcast. Before we get out of here, though, I do want to make a special note that our thoughts are with all Americans today as we commemorate the anniversary of the September 11th attacks on the World Trade Center in New York. Our country will never forget, and the victims and families affected by this tragedy will forever be in our hearts. On tomorrow's podcast, a tough transition from that topic, we're going to talk about the cost of a franchise quarterback. We're going to preview the Dolphins and Patriots from a film perspective. 
and we'll compare the 2007 Dolphins to this current edition of the Miami Dolphins. But for today's show, that's going to be my time. You all, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Follow me on Twitter at LinkfieldNFL. Follow the show at Locked On Fins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at LockedOnDolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football.